0: Here's a grief announcement that I know you are going to love. I'm going to say it all of February. Join us for our 28 days active healing challenge. Yes, 28 days of actively healing, right? How are we going to do that? We're going to do a solo of emotionally, mentally, or physically doing something for 28 days to actively heal. See, this active healing training is really gonna give us an opportunity to be committed, to be focused. Remember I told you, you have to take action. You have to do things to feel better because grief and heartbeat can feel so bad, right? So if we continue to move in the right direction, by moving our bodies, by moving our minds, by moving our spirit, I strongly believe we will emotionally heal what we probably do not understand right now. So I'll be saying the same thing all month. Join our 28 days of active healing challenge where on all my social media platforms, Pinterest, Instagram, her Dean Mercy or Facebook, Twitter, wherever you want to connect and join in, you do not want to miss out on it. I want you to tag me. I want you to show me what you're doing. I want you to participate because I really do believe this 28 days is going to really help you get to a place where you feel better about yourself. And now let me give you some little details. Every morning, starting February the 1st at 6 a.m., your task for today, your task that you would need to take action on will be released. So you have to follow me on my social media platforms at Herdean Mercier, where you'll get the updates of what you need to do to actively heal, to focus for 28 days. Let's do it. Let's not just be about it, let's take action. Cause we're going to actively heal for 28 days in February.
1: Cancer would be preferable over that because we have no clue about this illness. There's no treatment plan, there's no research. We know how to treat cancer, that would be better.
0: Here we go. So I wanna welcome you, Whitney. I wanna thank you so much for saying yes to joining the Grief Crusaders community and just meeting me on Clubhouse and then seeing an <laughs> invitation. Um, and you're saying yes, and I I take that yes um with such an honor and it really affirms the work that i am doing that i don't have to do it by myself and you're a champion with me so welcome to the grief crusaders community
1: yes thank you for having me i'm so thankful that you reached out and um we're open to me sharing my experience with your audience
0: Thank you. Thank you. You know, oftentimes when um, people talk about experiences, I see you now, this beautiful smile, but the process (laughs) of going through that experience Uh was not always so welcoming. And we probably went through that phase of why me, Father? Why me? And -hmm. for those who are listening, I want to say that, you know, Whitney is about to share her journey, right? where I know probably she's asked God that same question. Why me? So what has the grief journey been like for you?
1: Yeah, I I absolutely did ask um, God, why me? And for me, I have, you know, everybody says you have like a personal relationship with God. And I definitely have a personal relationship that is my own, and I really would be like, "What? Like, what's up, G? Like, for real, this what you? Yes, <laughs> this is what we doing? Um, <laughs> or I'll tell, I'll be I, I pretend like Jesus texts me, and I like I'll be like, "Yo, ex dad, what's up with this? You know, like, <laughs> what's going on?" <laughs> so um, yeah, I just I was really confused. I was just like, I thought I was doing so many things that you know, I was supposed to be, I was, like, on track to, like, start losing weight, you know, I was kind of just trying to get myself straight financially Mm -hmm. to pay down debt, and I thought I was, like, on track to, like, you know, adulthood and, like, making some better decisions, and then suddenly, like, out of nowhere, it seems like I got hit with a major diagnosis, and, you know, it was just kind of disheartening to me, especially, with how things started out. I, I started noticing some symptoms and tried to go to the doctor. And then I had one doctor who particularly just kind of blew me off based on, you know, me being plus sized. and I had pushed back to him. I was like, I've been losing weight, you know, I've almost lost a hundred pounds. So why is this getting worse? And then he was like, oh, well I'll do some tests but he like never followed up. But before he could even follow up, I ended up in the hospital to get my gallbladder out, which, you know, led to me getting like full blown pneumonia and everything like falling down because I I had this illness that no one knew about. And so when I left that hospital stay, I was on the oxygen and just had no idea what was wrong with me. And so for me, it's kind of hard to do things I'm supposed to do or or, Really be okay with things if I don't know the purpose. So I'm out here with oxygen. I think I was twenty eight at the time, and it was just like, I just don't understand what's going on. like why why is this happening to me? What is wrong? like what can it possibly be? And it was just a lot to think about. and it was suddenly I had oxygen tanks I had to fill up like, would I be able to go to work? Like how many oxygen takes, like does it take to stay at work all day? Like what can, I can't do. And it just seemed like my ability to do things was just being ripped away from me Mm. all at once because I just didn't understand it. And then you add on trying to go to work, doctor's Um, My doctor's office like that I was going to was probably like an hour and something from where I worked. And it was just like, it was just so much. It was a lot all at once.
0: Just a lot. And I can understand that, Whitney. And just let's rewind for those who are listening. They're hearing you go through this journey of, you're excited about life, right? You're losing weight. You're taking care of your finances Mm to the next moment. Something isn't right with you physically that you were like, I am going to go to a doctor's office. You get to the doctor's office and that doctor kind of just shugs you off as, uh, Mm -hmm. maybe it's just you overweight, but you knew in your heart of hearts that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And during, during that whole process, you find yourself grieving the loss of worrying about how you're gonna get to work. Now you have to wear an oxygen. What came about as far as the final diagnosis? So for some months,
1: um, I was getting tested. I was back and forth between um, DC and Baltimore. Um, luckily I lived in between, but like still that commute was just so much on me, um, that I ended up like just trying, trying to figure out like how I was going to do it. So I was luckily able to work from home. So I'm going to be able to go halfway to go to doctor's appointments. So I had a lot of appointments and the, the lucky and unlucky thing for me is that my case was very weird to the doctors that were in Baltimore. And so they were very interested because it was like nothing they had seen. So mm-hmm. my oxygen levels, um, as people will probably hear a lot about oxygen levels now with everything that's going on with the pandemic, but it had dropped very, very low, like within the 40s or 50s, like my first hospitalization, and then rebounded up to the 70s and 80s, which is that it never that never happens. So mm-hmm. first off, it was just like something not normal <laughs> is happening here even with like disease prognosis. So they kept doing different types of tests. They were talking to doctors at different conferences, talking to different friends that are doctors across the country, because I was at University of Maryland Medical Center, Mm -hmm. very good group of doctors. They were also talking to the doctors at Hopkins down the street. And so I had a lot of people who were very much invested as good practitioners of medicine, trying to figure out what was going on. So they got to the point where I ended up back in the hospital a second time. Um and then transferred up to University of Maryland. Um and just so happened my cardiologist, she was on her way back from a conference where she had been talking to people. Um, and she had narrowed it down to three things. And it was one thing I don't remember. The second one was cancer and then the third one was fibrosing mediastinitis and so I understood what the first two were I asked her about fibrosing mediastinitis and she was like I don't even want to go into that with you Mm -hmm. um, because we don't want it to be that cancer would be preferable over that because we have no clue about this illness there's no there's no treatment plan there's no research we know how to treat cancer that would be better and so i was just like oh wow i was like i don't want to have cancer but like this is crazy and so i had, they wanted me to do a biopsy to um figure out if it was the fibrosing mediastinitis but i was unstable and so they put it off a few days and because i had good doctors i didn't i didn't feel comfortable at all doing the biopsy and I was going to talk to my pulmonologist about it that Monday, but he kind of came to me and he was like, how are you feeling? And I was like, I don't really feel comfortable. And he said, neither do I. And so at that moment, it was like, I was kind of getting reaffirmed in my advocacy for myself to really just talk about the things um, that I felt because I had a good team of doctors who asked me how I felt, who asked me to weigh in on things and who affirmed that they I've I know a lot about my body and that they trust what I'm saying about how I feel mm-hmm. and what I need. And I, cause I had had another instance when I first got to the hospital, I asked the nurse for a breathing treatment and she had told me no, because it could raise up my blood pressure. So when my pulmonologist got there, I told him, I was like, I asked for a breathing treatment and they told me no because of my blood pressure. And he was like, you're right. If you feel like you need a breathing treatment, and he was like, I'm listening to you and you do. He was like, because who cares what your blood pressure goes up to if you can't breathe? But mm-hmm. so I'd rather you be here breathing and we worry about your heart blood pressure later than you to be able to not be able to breathe. Come on. And so he basically, that was all the last of the permission I needed to like advocate for myself at all times. but. He absolutely listened to me and he was like, well, I talked to a friend of mine in St. Louis, told him about the case. And as soon as I got to telling him, because my key symptom was hemoptysis was just coughing up blood. Mm -hmm. He was like, oh, I know what that is. He was like, it's fibrosing mediastinitis. Easy. And so he he was like, I don't even think we need to do the biopsy at this time and that we're pretty sure that it is what it is.
0: Now you're saying we're pretty sure it is what it is. And it's just like that smile when you talked about, we talked about at the beginning of the interview, but emotionally, where were you? At that point, I just had no
1: clue. It was like, I was, I was kind of lost. It was like, on one hand, I was happy to like, know what it was and that I had such a good doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, who was with me like to the point where I this was when I was in Maryland, I'm in New Orleans now. I cried in his office when I was leaving because mm-hmm. it was just like to be leaving somebody who had been like so supportive, um, who knew I knew that they would listen to me. Um, I knew that he would you know fight for whatever I needed to like go somewhere and not know <laughs> if I was going to get that kind of care mm-hmm. was like the scariest for me. So, yeah, I was just like so overwhelmed in his office <clears throat> excuse me and so um yeah I didn't know and it was just like googling my condition you find nothing <laughs>
0: essentially wow. um, not even the like google
1: search oh google it is it is very limited you I think Mayo Clinic may have one page or like one of those things but it's like there isn't much there's like a few it's only a few hundred people in the U.S. who have it mm-hmm. like hundreds mm-hmm. so Um, Most illnesses have thousands or millions of people with them, so that's Mm -hmm. why they get researched. But when you only have a few hundred, if the ways to treat it are like anecdotal, it's like, oh, this worked for this person, this worked for that person, because there's no, yeah, there's just no research anything on it to like even read into. And at the time when I looked on YouTube, there was one video that was uh, in memoriam for somebody who had passed away with the illness. And mm-hmm. that was all that was on YouTube. Like Even to the point if you search my illness now, a video of an uh, 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 interview I did with somebody um, and she put the title of my illness in the caption is one of the top like three or four because it's wow. that little bit of information
0: about, about it. it out. Yeah. About it. And so when I hear you talk about and it, When I hear you talk about leaving your doctor's office, it triggered me to my grief anchor, the third one, where we talk about connection. You know, oftentimes people do not realize the power that you give yourselves when you are connected to the right individuals who will hear you, see you, and validate your emotions without judgment. And so for me to hear you say that you shed tears because you had to leave your doctor and go on to this new life assignment, but he was that or she was that individual there for you, mm-hmm. it just makes me my heart warm that you had that. Now, what are yeah. some qualities, and I, and I think I want to focus on this, like, what are some qualities you think in your process of getting the diagnosis, then now grieving your old self, that this doctor really represented the warmth and the heart in the space for you to grieve? What qualities did they have?
1: He, he was a good listener. And it wasn't like on, he didn't ever come in with some, this is what this is, or this is what that is. He would truly come in and like, listen to me or what I said, and he observed. Mm-hmm. And so I remember one of the times um, he was just sitting in the in the room with me when I was hospitalized and one of the nurse had come in. It was a male nurse at the time, which is a lot of times, especially with, for I feel like underrepresented communities, Mm-hmm. It's like the white men, doctors or nurses are the ones who don't pay us any mind a lot of Come time. Come on now, let's talk but, about it. <laughs> yeah. And, but I had these two, it was a, a white male nurse and my white male doctor, they sat in there and I was like, I feel, cause I felt that I was about to have an episode of Coughing Up the Blood. And so mm-hmm. I said, I need this. I need a fan. Can we do that? And they saw me like calm myself down through what was happening. Mm -hmm. And like, both of them were just like, you're, you have an awareness of your body that not many people have.
0: Ooh, let's talk about that. People do not understand that their healing is in their hands. The moment they have an awareness of what is going on, Mm -hmm. it is the denial that keeps them stuck. Absolutely.
1: Because anytime you ignore something, you're going to run right into it. Come on now. If you, if you are aware that it's there, you can make a plan that either run through it or around it. Yeah. But as long as you're ignoring that it's there, you're going to you, you and triple and quadrupling your chances of hitting it head on.
0: Yes. And and you knew you needed a fan. You knew what needed to happen. And for them to see that you knew more about you when people don't realize when we go to a doctor or we go to a therapist, they can only help you with what you reveal. Uh If you do not reveal it, they cannot give it. And that's why I'm really big on creating safe spaces for individuals to openly heal Uh by telling their truth by yeah. telling their truth. And I love that. And and because you have an awareness, I want to really ask you this. What was it like And although you are physically still here by the grace of God, what was it like to grieve the old Whitney?
1: It was definitely rough. <laughs> um, and I think especially when you're around people who have only known you as you were before your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're having to relearn you. They're having to relearn you. And I noticed that I had, I didn't have good patience for other people at Mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I had to get to the point to understand that they were also relearning me, you know? So it was just like a whole new new world essentially and i kind of had to sit down and think of like where where was was i going before you know this happened and did i really have any idea and when i really thought about it it's like i didn't i don't really think i had a trajectory like that i was going on per se um i did more like the things that i thought i was would have been able to do but it was just like I can make what I have work mm. and that was something that was a, a change that happened pretty quickly I had a friend who had a chronic illness and I saw her living her life and going traveling and doing things that she loved to do and she was going back to school and it was just really inspiring. Um, she was on a trip in, pa- to, in Panama um, a few months after I got my diagnosis and she passed away in a car accident. Mm. And while it was devastating, it was to me, she was doing the thing that she loved despite um, the crippling illness she had. She was That's what she died doing the thing that she loved to do, which was traveling. And it's just like, she didn't let the illness get in her way. She didn't let it stop her from doing what she loved. And that's kind of the essence that I wanted to to live in. And although it wasn't immediate, for me, it was like, what can I do from here so that I don't lose the things that I love, but I can learn how to modify them or do the things that I have been putting off to some perfect time came because I could have lost it all in that moment and that never would have came so it was just a realization that there is no perfect time that you just kind of have to do what you have to do and like I'm always growing so even if this hadn't happened who I would who I would be would never be the old me so I'm mourning something that was just never going to be anyway you know like your morning just you have to kind of let it go because you're going to grow and change either way. You can't stay stagnant in who you were mm-hmm. and think that you're going to be able to do something. It's like, I didn't want to be stagnant. Like, I didn't want to stay the same. And that's kind of what I held on to. And even now, it's like, if I want something now, I can go after that. But if I change my mind in five minutes, five months, or five years, that's okay too. Yeah. And I can go after that.
0: Yeah, that's so true. You think I'm thinking about this thing that I always say, and we say it a lot on the podcast is that this life is not perfect, but the requirement of living it is like mm-hmm. you get this one chance to live this life. And no matter what is thrown your way, Find a way to still center yourself. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge mm-hmm. it in truth, and then take the next best healthy step for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just,
1: and it's the it's the small things. It's like things start to line up when you do what's best for like for you. Like mm-hmm. when I got out the hospital, um, the first well, the first and second time, <laughs> the first time I was in an apartment that was upstairs, I knew I needed to be downstairs. And it was like, I saw. I talked to my like rental people and I was just like, is there a one bedroom that's on the first floor mm-hmm. that I can move into? And like, how much w- like would that cost? Like in terms of a charge, and they ended up waiving the fee. And it was also me like coming forward, like openly to like my friends and stuff on like Facebook publicly, like what was going on. And I did a GoFundMe, it's like, cause I'm gonna have to move, I'm going back and forth to doctor's appointments. You know, I, I wasn't able to work for some time after the first hospitalization. And just luckily for me, I had um, a family member who covered like that thousand dollar gap that I had from financial ruin, essentially, mm-hmm. that, you know, when I had used up all my leave. And so I like, I asked for assistance and I had people who came and helped me move and who were like prepared to do things to the point where I ended up in the hospital during my move day. And so my um, NEOs or my sorority and my law sister and like friends moved me. Mm. Like I was in the hospital <laughs> at that time. So when I got out of the hospital, I came into a whole new place to live, which in, in itself was kind of crazy. Cause it was like, I'm just, And kind of symbolic too. It's like I I had to let go of my old space and my old stuff without even being able to really do it myself or say I was out of my Mm hands, And I was in this new place. Boxes were everywhere. I didn't know where anything was, but I I had to be there and I had to make it work. And I had to figure out things, ask questions and you know figure out where things were and order new things and just make the space work until I could slowly unpack everything that was going on and this is really kind of a symbol now that I'm just talking about it of what I had to do with everything that was going on it's like what can I do to help with my life and it, another thing was like I'm commuting into DC all the time mm-hmm. It's it's trying on my body let me try to find a job that's closer to my house where I don't have to be on the road as long. Mm-hmm. Things like that kind of set me up to be able to change my life. I got off of the oxygen tanks and I got a portable oxygen machine mm-hmm. that was able to let me do more things. I ended up in a, going to Aruba, Come <laughs> you on know, now. traveling out of the country <laughs> with this big old hunking oxygen thing that I had. And even when I got to New Orleans my doctor my pulmonologist here saw that and she was like why do you have that big old thing when you go to work and you travel and you're young she was like there are smaller ones and we'll we'll figure out a way to get you one and which Uh they which she did and she kept pressing until the oxygen company here figured it out and got me a smaller one that i can just throw on my shoulder so yeah it's just like even making like small the big change i made was moving to new orleans because it was cheaper So I'd be able to get out of, like, the debt is warmer because I'd realized after a few years being in Maryland with my illness that the cold wasn't good. So for just normal people, um, the cold freezes your lungs, so Mm -hmm. it kind of freezes your airways. So then you add on to that, if you have an ailment that affects your lungs and airways, it's that much worse. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, the cold isn't good for me. Um, And then I'm originally from Arkansas, so getting back closer to home. Um, all those things together worked for me and then on top of all of that what I realized is that anybody who met me here aside from the few friends that I had that were already here they've only known this with me oh and so if I come to them and say I need this or I'm a I'm gonna be walking out a few minutes early because I need to take my time or I need to be at a place that has an elevator or any kind of request requirements or anything I need. That's just, that's how I came to them. Yes. And it's not a change. Like it was with my other friends, not that mm-hmm. I'm faulting them or anything, but they had to go through the same process of that. I have to go through they, but you like don't, here.
0: Yeah. I you think, asserted. Yes. Yeah. But what people don't realize is that our friends grieve our old mm-hmm. self too. Mm-hmm. Like it took they me a ta- while to realize yeah. that. Yeah. Yes, they're in the grieving process too because they now have to go through the part of mourning who you were mm-hmm. and embracing who you are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes individuals do not have the words or the capable emotional a capability to describe what they're feeling. And oftentimes, what you find is they run. Mm hmm because they don't know how to support us. And I just really, really love the fact that you advocated for yourself again by asking for help. Yeah. Yeah. I I try to do that as
1: Mm. as much. I'm not a person who generally is open to stuff, but Mm. I've definitely opened my mouth in terms of advocating for myself. Mm. And I think, One of the things I did early on, and I know this is a thing, especially with chronic illnesses that a lot of people don't do. And it's one of the things that I try to fight back against fiercely. Mm -hmm. And because it, it hinders everything when you lie to other people and you lie to yourself about how you're doing. Come on now. You say, yeah, people say like, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm tired of telling people I'm fine when I'm not one don't Mm -hmm. because you're lying to yourself you're hearing yourself saying I'm okay I'm fine and your body knows and your brain knows and your whole being knows that that's not the truth come on so you gotta hear yourself lying and then how can you ever expect anybody else to react to you how they should when you've lied to them about how you feel and how you're doing let me stop telling people that I'm fine Mm-hmm. for a long time I said I'm gonna say exactly how I, I don't care if how it's come. don't ask me the question if you're uncomfortable with Within. the answer uh-huh. and so when I when somebody asked me that question and I the first time I said I was fine again I remember remembering it I don't remember when it was now but mm-hmm. I remember recognizing like oh I just said I'm fine because it meant something yes because I w- was okay at that point yes and so there's no need in lying about it because you're gonna get mad at people for not treating you a certain way or catering to you. But it's because you lied to them about what you need
0: and how you feel. Oh, my Lord, you're talking to our first grief anchor. And I strongly believe if you really want to get to a place where you're at restoration, where you feel whole and you feel like you can, whatever you face, you can move forward in faith. You first got to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And it is telling the truth about the little things. And what you'll realize is the real the real individuals that will be there to support you is when you answer truthfully, mm-hmm. they're there to support you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they can't
1: support you off of a lie. Like if you say you're fine, if you say you're okay, then they won't feel like they have anything to do for you or anything yeah. to help. But if you're like, I need help doing this or I can't do this or they don't know until you tell them, just like your doctors don't know how to diagnose you unless you tell them everything. I said, I, if my toenail itch, I'm going to tell my doctor yeah. because that that one small thing you are thinking of could be the key to something else, like tell them everything. And if you have a doctor that doesn't listen to you, on to the next, you can fire them like you do your boyfriend. Yeah. on. Um. Yep.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And people don't realize what comes with truth is freedom, mm-hmm. freedom for you to be yourself, freedom for you to show up and freedom to realize who was really in your corner. Mm-hmm. And freedom from shame and guilt. You can't shame me. Now. I,
1: I can't be ashamed of, and I can't feel guilty about something that I put out there, Thank that you. I've let it be known or I let it be seen. This is how you I can't be in my, because a lot of it is in your head. It's like, oh, if I say that I need this accommodation or I need this help, it's going to feel away. But it's like, that's all in you. You're creating that inside of yourself because you're thinking about it. And once you put it out there, you get the help or you don't. But like, it. it you can't be shamed no more once it's out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Once you put it out there, you have to be able, it gives you the next level of your healing and
1: -hmm. the next
0: level of you accepting the next journey.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. And so I just thank you so much for really just taking the time to come on here and talk about the powers of learning to grieve the life that you had, as well as what it would look like when you asked for help.
1: Mm -hmm. And the sad
0: part is, is that individuals don't know how to ask for help for fear of rejection, for fear of shame, for fear of guilt, whatever that thing is, I want our listeners to know that there is power when you decide you are going to actively heal by asking for help.
1: Yeah. And then like, also, like one of the key things for me has been in terms of like mourning who you thought you should be. Mm -hmm. It's like, A lot of times we're we're beholden to people who we decided we wanted to be 10 or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's like, has your life moved in a way that that still makes sense for you? Or
0: Mm -hmm. are we just
1: holding on to old ideas? It's like, I always feel like it should be an edit. We should be editing who we, Mm -hmm. what we want and what we need at every moment. Like, Is this right for who I am and who I want to be now? and keep going from those points. It should always be branching off because you're never the same. Things happen that change you. Your your interests could change. You could be introduced to a new person or a new thing that just changes what you want. And so who you want to be or where you should be, quote unquote, should always be changing. And I think sometimes when you get a a chronic illness diagnosis or something happens in your life, it's like you you're still stuck back in who you thought you were going to be even 10 years before that happened. Mm -hmm. And it's like, take that opportunity to say, this is what I have now. What can I do with this or where can I move from here? But keep doing that. You should always be moving, because even when nothing as major as this happened, it's the same way to be stagnant is to be stuck. an ideal that you had for yourself 10, 15, 20 years ago, when it has nothing to do with who you are now.
0: Oh, so true. And so what I want to ask you now is oftentimes Mm -hmm. what people don't realize that our grief can become our purpose. And so how have you taking on um, allowing yourself to mourn yourself to drive your purposeful living now?
1: So that took that took me a while too. I had been like blogging and doing all kind of stuff for forever before then, and I knew that you know it was tugging on me. But you know, sometimes you like Jesus. I'm about to turn your text on silent because I'm not about to listen to this. (laughs) Um, And so I was like, oh, I can I can help women, all women who are stagnant or whatever. And it was just like, okay, you can, but that's not what I told you (laughs) and Uh so you know I it really wasn't resonating you know and so I was just like okay well women with chronic illness and then it just it started to move from there because that was realistically what I was going through Mm -hmm. and so from there you know I kept you know helping people and starting to be like well let me put more information out as I was learning more information. And then that really started to take off. And um, I realized that I should be speaking. So I set myself up to speak more, be on different podcasts, um, sign up to be on different platforms. And that was really when stuff started to move. Mm -hmm. And I realized um, upon meeting people in clubhouse and different things that, you know, I, I should really be going to the past path of least resistance but I was kind of scared to narrow myself down but I realized that I want to work with women and some men you know on some occasions Uh but (laughs) that that already have a similar mindset to me Mm -hmm. it's like I can it's harder to convince somebody that they can live a life of abundance and happiness if they haven't even begun to get on that journey. If you know you want that, I could probably help you. And I definitely can. But it's like the people who I can move mountains with are the ones who are there but haven't figured out the how. Yes, And who need the strategies and who need the community. And that's where I got to the point where I want people who are like, entrepreneurs or people who work nine to five who have chronic illness, like the women who are motivated already to do these things. And so that's where I got to the point where I said, I need to create a mastermind for these women. And it's called the ill influence mastermind. Mm -hmm. And it's for women who are um, right now, this group is going to be for entrepreneurs only, but just so you know, if you do have a nine to five, That group is coming too, because I'm an entrepreneur. I have a nine to five. I'm a Mm -hmm. doctoral student on on top of everything else. So Uh I know that the trials are similar, but Mm -hmm. slightly different. So if you're an ambitious woman, this is what my brand is for. Ambitious women with chronic illnesses, giving you the tools, the strategies, the techniques to remove all the barriers to abundant life that we know we can have. Mm -hmm. and thrive in. And so this is what this group is for. Um, The beta group is going to launch soon this year. And it's just going to be a three month beta. And then shortly after that, once I get it refined, it'll be a year long thing. So Mm -hmm. the beta group will be um, grandfathered in at that um, price point for life. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is a group where I'll be teaching some of the strategies that I've learned to be able to do the most despite it all. And we'll also have that kind of group collective because what I find is in a lot of the business plans or the nine to five things you hear, it's a lot of ableism because people don't understand the nuances of what it is to have a chronic illness. Mm -hmm. And if we're trying to aspire to these things that don't fit our lives we end up breaking ourselves down so it's figuring out mechanisms and ways that we can work around and through the system and using the tools and resources that are there for us to make it a plan that works for our bodies and who we are especially I've noticed this like in a nine to five like people don't assert that they need help with their HR office to put in and say, I need these accommodations. Yeah. You know, they're afraid to do that. Or with a business, you're trying to work and hustle all night long, but your body needs to rest. Yes. yes. We cut off. And that's another thing I say is like part of the honesty there. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to hide that you have a chronic illness because you don't want it to look a certain way with your business if you're open, let that be part of your message because how will your customer understand that you're not working these hours if they don't understand why? They might be like, oh, she's lazy. Be like, no, baby, guess who's sick today? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's this one. And then let let people understand where you're truly coming from because you have that shame and that guilt. And I think when you get like-minded individuals who are going through the same thing, who are trying to grow and learn together, there's nothing more powerful than that. Like you can go far alone, but you can impact so many more people when you're working together and you're not afraid to share your ideas or give help to other people. You don't have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think this mastermind group is so important, even not just with the techniques and stuff that I'll be teaching. No, that's all important too. But having that community of people, that sisterhood, Mm -hmm. that knowing that somebody is behind you and that's helping you is is priceless.
0: Yeah, you're right. And I, and I talk about this all the time. You do need a community if you want to actively heal. Mm -hmm. Don't try to do this all by yourself. You you don't have Mm -hmm. to. And so when you find that right community, you are going to find that it is emotionally beneficial to your, your healing. I want to thank you for representing that just because you have a chronic illness, Mm -hmm. that does not mean that you should live your life without abundance. And Mm -hmm. you are living with abundance by showing up and still going to school, showing up and still wanting to work and help other individuals, but showing up for yourself the most. Um, Before we close it out, I, I have these three redefining grief questions that I ask, and they're called pearls of wisdom, these pow moments. The very first question is, what have you learned about yourself since redefining the grief? That I
1: am resilient. Mm. So I, my I've had friends who say, said this about me, and I just didn't always see it. Even after I first got sick, they say, if you want something, you get it. Mm. And it's like, no matter what happens, it's like, I always can find the light. Mm. It's like, no matter how dark things get, it's like, it's my, my superpower. I'll I'll always back, back bounce back and be able to see the light eventually. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. That's good. Because oftentimes people do not understand the power of that light. If you Mm -hmm. stay focused on the light, you will get to a place where the whole room will shine. Mm -hmm. The second question is, if today was your last day on earth and you had the opportunity to say five words or less, what would would those words be? Life
1: is generous. Mm -hmm. And that's been like, a mantra that I've kind of been living by. Like I heard my leak Teal say it and she heard it from um, I think a lady when she was on the flight once. And it's just been something that has stuck with me. It's mm-hmm. like no matter what happens or what you go through, it's like those small things that we forget to to look to or that we enjoy because those are the things that we think back to and our, you know, in our last moments or when we think something it's taken away from us. We're not thinking about like all the big things. It's like the small moments. And those moments are when you really know that life is is generous to fight anything. It's like even, you know, just having my sister, have my niece, you know, having her laugh or like try to steal the phone, like just the small Mm -hmm. moments or, you know, being able to do little things. It's like, life is generous. It's just like, the sky is beautiful today. Like Mm -hmm. life is generous. You know, despite everything else, it's those small moments and just being thankful for having experienced such beautiful things. I would just say
0: life is generous. Life is just generous. I love that. The very third thing, um, the very third question is um, during your dark times, you know, I love to sing. Is there a song that got you through? If so, what is that song?
1: Um, It was I Love the Lord by Whitney Houston. And I I listened to that. My first hospitalization, I just listened to that over and over again because I was just so frustrated about even just trying to be released that first time or what was happening. Mm -hmm. And it was just I just kept listening to that song over and over and over again until... Like, I remember the day that they told me I was going to be released from that hospitalization. I was just, I was crying <laughs> with the <laughs> nurse that I had. It was just, like, so much. And I know I had been listening to that song. Like, just, let's just make it happen. Come on. But that song is very, very touching to me.
0: Oh, good. Good. I thank you, Whitney West. Thank you so much for really serving the grief crusaders. I know they got tremendous value from this conversation. Um, I think for me, I just, I just love it. And I cannot wait for them to hear it. Cannot wait for us to discuss it. Um, yes. And I can't wait to, to see how their lives are going to change by realizing that there is miracles in each and every one of the days, and that though we have these life things that we have to live with, um, but telling the truth is the very first step in getting Mm -hmm. us to a place of healing.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: You're so welcome.